1: Greetings, geeks, and welcome to episode 33 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. The podcast where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine. Still convinced that Pinky and the Brainiac was a total missed opportunity for the Kids WB Network in the 90s, I'm Adam.
2: And suffering from a severe case of cat
0: scratch fever after seeing the cover of this issue, I'm Michael. And I don't like Frank Miller. There, I said it. I'm Steven. For the record, I like his run on Daredevil. I like Dark Knight Returns. I just think he's an And
1: there you have it, folks. This is a monumental episode, not just because of Steven's continued disdain for the man, but this is a monumental edition of Wizard Magazine, in that this was the first issue produced after they had moved to their new office in congers new york now this location has been brought up many times by our interviewees on the wizard files as the most remembered office where they remained for many many years until pulling up stakes and moving to manhattan in the final days of the magazine now i have to ask you guys as new yorkers does congers even register for you
2: congers is just north of the palisades i think and i personally wouldn't even know it if i saw it on the new york state thruway as an exit to get
0: off Is it like in that kind of, uh, you know what, I have no idea where it is. (laughs) I've never been there. I don't know anything about it. It, well, I, I can't yeah, even fake it. I couldn't it. throw a dart at a map of New York and find Congress.
2: Yeah, I only know where the Palisades Mall is, and beyond that, I couldn't tell you.
1: Yeah, well, they, and the Palisades Mall has been referenced as a place to go for lunch, so yeah, so it's right in that no, area. So Michael has the closest idea of any of us, but they mention here, both in the letter from the editor and in the back of the magazine, that now they have this massive warehouse attached where... Garab says they may install a basketball hoop, so who knows if that happened. That'll be my next question during the next interview. (laughs) But their first order of business that they chose to report on was a very heated matchup on Street Fighter 2 Turbo, where Pat McCallum beat Steve Blackwell, but then Doug Goldstein mopped the floor with Pat, and somebody unplugged the system and turned it off accidentally, so the final, you know, who was the champion was still up in the air, and it was... It's just good to know that the editorial staff members of Wizard Magazine were taking part in the same activities as their readers in 1994. (laughs) In fact, the back of this issue, there is an ad, a teaser ad, for Super Street Fighter. It just says Super this summer Capcom so definitely on everybody's mind interestingly enough here there was also a profile on Garib Sheamus. now this is something they would start to do a lot more uh, in the later issues of Wizard but this is like there's a caricature of Garib and it just says up close and so they ask him a few questions so maybe you guys want to take a stab at what you think were some of Garib's answers so remember this is 1994 so last good movie you saw i don't even know what movies came out that year just try Uh, a movie from the last year guys
0: i'm gonna say he was a big fan of the pelican brief (laughs) (laughs)
1: how about you michael what do you think oh man what does garib sheamus buy a ticket for and like i'm gonna say terminator 2 oh but he's a he's a jokester he loved that ace ventura pet detective silly but funny was his review of ace ventura pet detective There's no way he wrote this. (laughs) (laughs) How about last good book you read? What was a hot book that we're talking about New York Times bestsellers? The Lost World. Oh, you know what? I I read this already. Steven, you're taking yourself out of it?
0: Yeah, because I I remember what he said.
1: Well, give us the answer then.
0: It's Howard Stern's Private Parts. Correct. Uh, Which is the only book my dad has read.
1: (laughs) Baba booey, baba booey, baba booey. All right. Favorite TV show? Of Garib Sheamus in 1994. I will give you a hint. It was on the Fox Network. Oh, okay. Oh, Parker Lewis can't lose. Oh, I <laughs> Why wish. would it be Parker Lewis can't lose? <laughs> he, he relates to Jerry. No, a little bit more adult. a prime or, time. Or, or uh, NYPD Blue. That, was a, that wasn't on Fox. That was ABC. Wasn't it
2: was
0: on Fox? No. no. It it was Herman's Head. No, I'm just kidding. Uh,
1: Maybe The Simpsons? I'll give you one more hint. It starred Heather Locklear eventually melrose place correct very nice only reason why i pulled
2: that is because of seinfeld because they have a whole episode about melrose Place on
1: <laughs> Seinfeld. So. all right now this was very much the 90s guys favorite musical group just if you think of the 90s who do you think of who
2: i would think of or who he might think of i'm gonna say something like like rem or something like that
1: close not quite think more seattle nirvana not nirvana who's next to one. nirvana
2: oh uh what's oh pearl jam
1: there you go go you got it okay now who would play you in a movie about yourself
2: who would play garab Sheamus i would say uh, oh what's his name uh, rick moranis rick
1: moranis <laughs> 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 so for me i still say ted raimi is the actor who plays garab Sheamus but who was it steven
0: well I, I don't know the actor's name but he was on murphy brown oh uh, he played miles on murphy played brown played miles Grant Shod, who has the same initials as Garib Sheamus.
1: Ooh. Coincidence? Maybe that was his stage name. It was him. That he was trying to tip us <laughs> off. Favorite comic right now. <laughs> what was Garib Sheamus' uh, favorite comic in nineteen ninety-four?
2: Oh man. What was his favorite comic in nineteen ninety-four?
0: It was Shaman's Tears. <laughs>
2: I'm going to say it's The Good Guys, because Wizard pushes that book so hard, I'm going to say The Good Guys.
1: The Good Guys. The answer? Hmm. I couldn't pin it down to just one. <laughs> of course. Either very political or... Playing his head and letting us know he knows nothing about comics. Now, favorite comic of all time, though. Watch him Close, but no. Steven, just give it to us.
0: It's Frank Miller's
1: Batman The Dark Knight Returns. That is correct. <laughs> Which, again, is
0: a good comic. I like Dark
1: Knight Returns, okay? What are or were your nicknames? You guys know one of them. The Big Cheese? Yeah, big cheese, but the second one he shares with a president from the 90s.
2: Uh, Teflon Bill Clinton? I don't know.
1: <laughs> it is Bill Clinton. It was Bubba. Remember they used to call Bill Clinton Bubba?
2: Yep. Yeah.
1: Finally, what superpower would you want and why?
2: Invisibility, so I could see what his other people are doing around his office.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Spying on the staff. It sounds like he did have that power. He pretty much was invisible to most of them.
0: I guess so. I guess probably, like, super strength.
1: And what do you think, Steven? What does he want?
0: Well, he wants the same powers that Michael Keaton had in a little film called Multiplicity.
1: That is correct. He chose Jamie Madrox, The Multiple Man's Powers. He says, that would free up a lot of my time and I'd probably get a lot more sleep. so there you go. Garib laid it out for us. We know a little bit more about the big cheese after 33 issues. So that was kind of fun that they added that in there. But, you know, we might have uh, written in and asked some of these questions ourselves. So, Stephen, it's time for... Willie Lumpkin's Mailbag. <laughs>
0: So let me just say, right off the bat, this is one of my favorite issues of Wizard. When I first started listening to your podcast, I could not wait for you to get to this issue and this episode. So many monumental things happen in this issue for me. And it starts with this which is the issue spends the first few pages in tribute to legendary comic book artist and creator Jack Kirby, who passed away on February 6, 1994, at the age of 76. Wizard asked many comics pros to share their thoughts, and here's what they had to say. So Len Wein says, Eulogize Jack Kirby in 25 to 30 words? Impossible. It would take 10 times that many just to list a few of his creations, let alone mark the man. Jack was unique, the ultimate original. He was my friend. He was loved. And he will be missed. But he will always be remembered.
1: Now, our buddy Rob Liefeld, if you've listened to the Rob Observations podcast, he visited Jack Kirby. He was an acolyte of Jack Kirby. So here's what he had to say. No man did more for this industry and received less for his efforts. He will continue to be loved and adored by his fans everywhere. He opened the doors of imagination for all of us and opened the doors of opportunity for every freelancer in comic books. No man represented the comic industry with more class and dignity than jack kirby his life represents an example for all of us to follow
2: wow that was rather poetic there rob Liefeld. felt good, mm-hmm. good on you uh, so jim shooter says jack was one of the greatest storytellers and greatest creative minds of this century he proved that the limits of imagination are imaginary
1: deep thoughts deep
2: thoughts <laughs> <laughs> by Jack Handy. We're going there.
0: (laughs) Oh, God, I wish. Matt Groening, creator of The Simpsons, says, When I was 12, it was a toss-up between Salvador Dali and Jack Kirby as to who was my favorite artist. I spent countless hours as a youth staring at his art. I can't look at a superhero with his fingers splayed towards the reader without thinking of Jack Kirby. He really was...
1: The king and a man we'll be talking about in more detail soon enough mike allred creator of madman said for me jack kirby was everything that was great about comic books he was pure energy on a comic page even when people were standing around in street clothes just talking there was a beauty and energy that remains unmatched today jack kirby truly was the king of comics
2: Scott McCloud, author of Understanding Comics, think of your favorite penciler as the Terminator, the one from the first movie. Remember the scene where the gas truck explodes and all the flesh melts away, leaving the big metal skeleton lurching at you? That's Kirby. <laughs> you said,
1: okay, what? great. This is the one that I get. To see. It's fantastic. What the hell is... What kind of tribute is that? I think he's trying to say that he's like, you know, the skeleton upon which all other comics artists have built upon. You know, he's the core of it all.
0: Why are we... Exploding a gas truck at the guy (laughs) and melting his flesh. That that doesn't make any sense. Anyway, it's a terrible metaphor. I get Scott McCloud,
2: but I don't get Todd McFarlane. Like, they're right next to each other in this list. (laughs) I'm getting a do-over, and I'm going to read Todd McFarlane just because of that particular one. So, Jack, King Kirby, in many respects, should have been called Jack, Dad Kirby. We are byproducts of our parents jack kirby was very much my father in comics and i am a byproduct of him he was not so much a king to me but a
0: dad todd McFarlane. that's a little bit better (laughs) a little bit better very touching than a exoskeleton terminator so finally stan lee says the comic book world has lost a great talent a man who provided inspiration for countless artists. So, your note here, Adam, says, Wow, kind of short and generic there, Stan, for the collaborator who gave shape to the characters who made your entire career. So, at this time, Stanley and Jack Kirby were not on speaking terms. Jack Kirby was going around saying that he was the sole creator of the entire Marvel Universe, and Stanley had no input, and it was all his idea. And so they were kind of going back and forth, sniping at each other. Or basically, Kirby was the one sniping at Lee. And if you read Sean Howe's book, Marvel Comics The Untold Story. He tells the story of how Stan Lee went to Jack Kirby's funeral and just sat at the back so he didn't create any kind of ruckus or scene. He just kind of wanted to pay his respects. You know, quietly. So yeah, it was kind of a a sad ending to one of comics' greatest uh, collaborations.
1: Yeah, and just just to clarify for everybody too on this, you know, we just picked a a variety, if you will.
2: We could have read Alan Moore's like 15 paragraphs. Yeah, like there's a whole
1: bunch of stuff in here. There's editorials. There's like literally like the first like six or seven pages of the magazine is all about Jack Kirby. So we just picked a few here just to give you the idea behind it. If you want to go on social media and flip through the pages there. we'll be posting the link to this issue so you can get more for all you big uh, Jack Kirby fans out there who are listening but uh, now it's time to get into our table of contents Ooh, so much to get into here this issue features a gorgeous Catwoman cover by Jim Ballant which was involved in a contest which is found inside the magazine where you could win an original piece of Jim Ballant Catwoman art but not the cover to this issue why? because the artist kept the cover for himself and he still has it to this day. He actually recently posted about it on social media which is just kind of awesome. He's holding it up there. You're like, what? Okay. That's awesome. I'd I'd like to know what the art was that the winner actually got. But one disappointing thing about the cover, at least in the copy of the issue that I have, is that you don't get a poster of this cover art. What you get instead is a gigantic Ultraverse fold-out poster but not a poster. Yeah. Michael he just pulled it out of the magazine. He's it it up here, and it's just one of those uh, things where you're just like, huh? Who's on it there, Michael? Can you even describe what you're seeing?
2: So it's basically Prime and some bro Prime dude with the same musculature but in purple, and uh, they're fighting an octopus, someone that looks like He-Man, <laughs> the military, and and some other dudes yeah it's a terrible poster it's terrible art and it's malibu comics ultraverse and yeah it's, it's crap and i tore it out because steven said he didn't have it and i was like well i gotta see what it is and i opened it up and i was like oh <laughs> what a bummer it's
1: one of those things we are actually going to reveal what that poster is for and why wizard would put it in the magazine but that is to come now last thing i'll say about this cover uh we now have the big book of covers which was produced by wizard which tells behind the scenes stories and here is a funny little anecdote that they shared it says during the printing of the issue the foreman at the plant you know the printing plant worriedly called our head honcho garib Sheamus and asked if he had okayed quote the issue of wizard with the naked purple chick on the cover <laughs> <laughs> after explaining how costumes and gravity work in comics the issue printed and shipped <laughs> that's pretty funny a little confusing a little risque there now speaking of catwoman though pick of the litter is a feature of this issue which is an interview with writer joe duffy about her work on the ongoing catwoman series with some commentary thrown in by the artist jim ballant now duffy mentions that she doesn't agree with frank miller's take on catwoman in batman year one where she was a prostitute because duffy says that quote i've always been certain that this was something she did as a maneuver on her way to a big score perhaps she was pretending to walk the streets in order to get close to the diamonds end quote so Duffy did call Miller though to explain her plans out of respect as a a fellow writer and uh, you know his history on the character but Duffy reveals that the way Jim Ballant draws Catwoman has definitely influenced the way that she is writing the character and on that note uh, Jim Ballant uh, he comments on the controversy Uh, that Catwoman's ample assets have been uh, stirring up, stating, quote, I thought about getting a public statement published. I'm drawing Catwoman so voluptuously because at an early age, I was scared by Dolly Parton. I even thought about starting a column somewhere, maybe even in Wizard, keeping abreast with Jim Ballant. <laughs> Funny guy. <laughs> There's uh, also a sidebar piece on Catwoman, just kind of going through her history, by future head of DC Comics, Dan DiDio, of all people. So I just thought that was really fascinating. I assume he was just or an editor over there maybe i don't know in 94
2: he he was an editor at that time okay he he really didn't do a lot of writing himself
1: but here's the question though so this series have you guys read very much of joe duffy and jim balance work on catwoman
2: so about maybe two or three years ago before they released it in trade i bought the first 12 issues on eBay, and all of the covers are beautiful. I've read the first three issues, and I just fell behind, and I haven't finished it, but I have the first 12 issues in
0: my collection.
1: How about you, Steven?
0: I picked up a few issues at the time. The costume was very striking, besides the obvious things that... Assets? discussed, Just that purple Catwoman costume, and yeah, I remember getting the Zero Hour issue, so Catwoman number zero. And yeah, like, it seemed like a big deal at the time, maybe just because I read Wizard and it was a cover story, but it seemed like an important comic book.
1: I had, like, the first two issues I picked up, you know, in some back-issue bin years ago, and I I read through it, but in preparation for the show, I just bought the first, like, 12 issues on Comixology and just read through them. And it's a solid series. I mean, Joe Duffy mentions in this interview she didn't realize how tied to To nightfall and bane her series was going to be because yeah like a lot of it like the first like three or four issues like really gets into like bane and how he's running gotham and how she has to pay her tribute and all that kind of stuff plus we get into like the history of bane you know and all that so there's a lot of that but just like story to story i i found like she really wrote selena kyle to be very interesting and fun she's a little heavy on the cat Puns. Like, having Selena <laughs> Kyle herself mention, like, she's some sort of human cat a lot, which is kind of goofy. But overall, like, the art and everything was obviously very cool. Although I found Jim Ballard seemed to be channeling a lot of Rob Liefeld X-Force-type uh, poses. Like, like he always does this star thing that Rob Liefeld likes to do, or, like, he's charging at the reader from the panel, and you see the little legs in the background. There was a lot of those poses with Catwoman.
2: I thought you were going to say Rob Liefeld's tiny feet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, Jim Ballot, much better with the proportions.
2: So a couple of years ago when Tom King was doing his Batman run, they relaunched a Catwoman title. And the first, I'd say, four or five issues tie into what's going on in the Batman book, which is also revolves around Bane, oddly enough. And so it's her working for Bane as the tie-in things, which is kind of like, gee, they just rehash an old idea from the 90s. That's
1: fascinating. Yeah, she can't get away. <laughs> Alright, well, the next step here going into the Marvelverse is an article called X-X-Men. It's an interview with former X-Men artist Dave Cockrum. Now, a lot of the information about his time drawing the all-new, all-different X-Men in the 70s, you know, creating Storm and Nightcrawler, all of that was already covered in the X-Men 30th Anniversary special, so if you want to go back, listen to that episode again, you X-Men fans, it's in there. But what I found more interesting is when they get into his comic book origins, how he became an artist because he talks about sending in art to DC Comics as a 14 year old and apparently they have this policy that if they used your cover concept that you submitted then DC editor Julius Schwartz would send the original cover art that was done by the professional artist back to the reader and actually yeah, Dave Cockrum was like I didn't really agree you know as an artist now I don't like that practice but it was cool as a kid and then he started publishing his art in a fanzine in 1968 I mean, he's one of like the early day fanzine guys. And then he eventually got to tour the DC offices and Neil Adams was there and kind of like was, oh, you're that famous guy for the fanzine. I know you. But then he wrote him a letter of recommendation. He said, take this over to Warren Publishing. And it just said, give this boy work. <laughs> which led wow. to Dave Cockrum He was drawing the early Vampirella stories. He was the artist of Vampirella uh, for, for a lot of issues. So he said it wasn't what he wanted to do. So eventually he then he moved into drawing Legion of Superheroes, which he was very famous for, but then he quit after a year and a half because dc wouldn't give back just one piece of art he wanted some original art he's like can i have this one double page spread i did and they said no so he got mad and quit then he got the gig drawing the x-men and he was on that for four years but then he quit and then he regretted it and so he after john Byrne was about to quit he told chris claremont he's like hey i want the job back as soon as Byrne's out of there which he got (laughs) but then he quit again because he was talking to claremont and claremont's like you keep telling me about this like your own story you want to do this Futurians thing maybe you should just go do that because you're so excited about it and so he quit and he said he regretted that eventually because Futurians didn't sell but he it was a personal artistic achievement for him but what I find so interesting is now in this era this 1993 1994 Cockrum has been drawing covers for the Topps Jurassic Park comic book he did a Warriors of Plasm one shot for Defiant he's doing Valiant and Harbinger specials and a Turok in so i mean he's out there still working which is pretty great and in one of our interviews on the wizard files i will mention todd casey former wizard staffer there he actually wrote an article about the final days of dave Cockrum. so if you guys have listened to that interview you've kind of heard his take on what what that was like so uh, are you guys super familiar with dave Cockrum? like would you say you could pick out his art just from
0: the X-Men.
2: Uh, I could also probably pick it out from, from Legion of Superheroes, because I, I do have a couple of those issues that I bought a couple of years ago, because I was going through a Legion,
1: uh, like, bender, <laughs> essentially. Oh, <laughs> uh, Michael's back on the Legion again. <laughs> <laughs> gotta get my fix on the Legion. <laughs> now, it's time to solve a mystery, and it's not which artist belongs to Dave Cockrum. It's what was going on with that poster that was in this issue. Well, Ultraverse year one is an article that is now discussing the big plans in store for really the only new comic book universe of 1993 to have major success which was malibu's ultraverse and so for their second year malibu is announcing all these plans they've brought on george perez to draw their ultra force which is essentially their avengers right their team up book which will debut in two mini comics being packaged in upcoming issues of wizard i have one of them but also what you were seeing there in that poster you're like who is this guy next to prime that is rogue Prime, as he is called, meaning Prime is about to take on a grittier demeanor with chains, spikes, long hair, and stubble because he wants to look cooler. No, he's not getting a white streak in his hair. He's not going to wear a full bodysuit. But yeah, so that's kind of what's going on there is the evolution of the Prime character. Also, the Cable clone called Warstrike is going to spit off from the pages of Mantra to get his own series where his powers of precognition only work when his adrenaline is pumping so he becomes more and more reckless in order to access his ability they say he becomes addicted to his power and he just puts himself in danger I mean it's just kind of a silly thing if you ask me. (laughs) It's just like yeah he's gotta almost die and then he can use his powers. The editor-in-chief Chris Ulm is so proud of the quote revolutionary concept of debuting new characters in a tryout book called Ultraverse Premiere. So instead of printing a new number one book every Every time they have a new character idea that might not sell, they're just going to put them in this book where you preview characters. It's so novel. It's so creative. Newsflash. Marvel did this for years in the 70s. They had Marvel Premiere. They had Marvel Spotlight. You know, that's where characters like Ghost Rider and Iron Fist and Adam Warlock and Spider-Woman, they all debuted in that format. And then they were popular enough that they would get their own comics. So it's just funny. Like, they had forgotten history or they just felt like, we're the new hot things. Yeah, no worry about what they did back then it's now you got to think about speaking of the ultraverse this issue contains a mail away certificate for the next wizard half comic which is a prime half comic from wizard which is promoted as a 24 page prequel to the ongoing series really it's just kind of like catch you up you know it's like here's what prime is about just two dollars shipping and handling and it's prime time baby now here's the question that i have for you guys You've really been giving Prime a hard time when you're doing your top 10 comics. You won't even read the description. He's Thunder Punch He-Man to you guys. Have you read Prime? Where is this coming from? The hate on Prime.
0: I have never read Prime. I think the hate's coming from the fact that we have to keep talking about Prime, and we have no knowledge of Prime. I I have never read Prime. I will never read
2: Prime. I have no interest in Prime. I don't even care about Prime. I wish Prime (laughs) would go away. It just (laughs) is annoying. I'm sick of it. The musculature alone is just so absurd that it makes me want to take the images that I see of it and light them on fire. Wow.
1: I hate this whole There is the a psychology narrative. behind the musculature, Michael. There's, there's, if you read the comics, you would understand there is a reason for it. But I think our patrons are hearing this, that you will never read it. They may demand that you read it. So we will see. We will see. Speaking of features that we've seen too much of, Big Babies is back. With a, a baby photos of the comics pros, they want you to match them up. So, Stephen, I have to ask, does seeing Frank Miller in his innocent Baby form before he was hardened by life experience. Make you cut him some slack? Cut him some slack? Uh, no. <laughs> He's
0: like one of those... Okay, I'm not going to insult Frank Miller anymore.
1: I'm sorry. Okay, (laughs) we know where you stand. No, I'm going to say no. But on a happier note, somebody who brings joy to the comics world, everybody loves him. Through the eyes of a madman, which is an interview with madman creator Mike Allred. Now, interestingly enough, uh, Allred says that Neil Gaiman asked him to be the artist on some issues of Sandman early in his career but the editor Karen Berger said he wasn't ready when she saw his sample pages and she vetoed the decision and this just like sent him into a depression like already said he almost quit comics he thought this was going to be his big break but then he mustered kind of all his strength of will to become a more professional writer and artist he just said I'll I'll show them like I'm good at this I can do it and he did eventually work on Sandman after after he had established himself so yeah the story has a happy ending but wizard inquires as to why the later issues of the comic have become more fanciful and light in tone and Alred explains that when he first was published by kevin eastman's tundra imprint he thought they wanted him to be edgy so like in the opening scene of the first issue he had madman rip out a guy's eyeball and eat it okay then Alred decided that wasn't his style and he lightened the tone he also claims this was really interesting to me that he is planning to end the series at 102 issues he's kind of pulling a dave sim on cerebus thing here he says because that's how many issues jack kirby and stan lee did of the fantastic four so it just seemed like the right amount for him he also reveals that he's colorblind so his wife, Laura, has become his colorist when she isn't working at a department store jewelry counter, that is. And uh, <laughs> she actually has been getting acclaim herself among other pros in the business. And she is. She goes on. you know, She's been his colorist for all of his career, and they really do work well together. But people recognize her work on its own and saying, wow, I mean, she really brings those images to life. So now, recently we reported on this uh, several issues back that Tundra was bought out by Kitchen Sink Press. And so Allred said he was done publishing his comics through Kitchen Sink, although he'll be doing some promotional items. And instead, he got an offer from Dark Horse to publish Madman, there and so he took it and the first issue of that new series is actually being promoted here in wizard issue 33 also though in this issue is a contest where madman fans can submit their ideas for a new madman costume and then three winners will have their concepts printed into the letters column of the comic by mike allred they're also going to get a copy of madman comics number one signed by mike allred but it will also contain an original sketch inside the comic which is pretty fun. Now, here's the thing, though. I feel like we've been leading up to this. Michael and Steven have been reading Madman, right, guys? Well, I read
0: issue one. I've been reading it. I
1: read one issue.
0: I've read volume one and three of the trade paperbacks. Two is too expensive.
1: Okay, I wonder why that is. I'll have to look into that, why number two is so hard to get your hands on. That being the case, I think it's time for... Robin's Reading Rainbow. Rocky Robin. To,
2: to preface, I did have a little bit of an insight of Mike Allred because I did read the entire iZombie run. So I kind of knew the art style that I was going for. I didn't realize that this story was going to be kind of like an LSD fever dream that someone envisioned, <laughs> I feel like. <laughs>
1: so. Now, now, so here's the question I have, because then Stephen, after, you know, i had been talking it up, he went and bought some of the trades. I did. The earliest adventures of Madman that they call the Oddity Odyssey. So, talk to me about reading volume one. What was your take from that? Because it's very different in a lot of ways, I feel, than what we get with this issue number one from Dark Horse.
0: I really loved it. I really responded to it. It has almost this kind of surreal Tim Burton quality to it. You know, comic books are always about outsiders, the best ones. Stories about people who are on the fringe of society, you know, appealing to teenage boys who uh, and girls whose bodies are changing and they feel weird and all this kind of stuff. It's the classic Spider-Man kind of parable, and this like takes that to an extreme personal level, which I really responded to. I like how personal it feels. It almost seems like only Mike Allred could have written this story and drawn it. And that's what I like about it is it's very handmade.
1: Yeah. And at the same time, what I find interesting about it, because those, those first adventures were black and white. Mm-hmm. And so it does give you kind of this like creepy, like fifties sci-fi movie feel to it. And there is stuff, you know, there's like Dr. Flam, his scientist friend gets his head chopped off because he was doing experiments and his body is deteriorating. He's got to put his head, you know, in a special serum that goes in a bathtub. And then eventually, yeah. They reattach it like so, there's a lot of like wild elements going on, in addition to yeah, Frank getting to know Frank Einstein, who is Madman's alter ego, getting to know Joe, his girlfriend, better, and like mm-hmm. kind of building that relationship, which is kind of the core of the books. Aside from the adventures, which was the next series, Madman Adventures, which was in color, published by Kevin Eastman over at Tundra Publishing. So now we're at a place where you have Frank Einstein, Madman Comics, number one. They had to catch us up, so they had had to give us an idea of okay, what is this world that came before and what are we in for now? So Michael, you started reading here and you picked up this number one issue. I, I will tell you, I don't even have that because I i only have like the Madman gargantua and I only ever bought the trades. Mm-hmm. So like I- I've i always had like the collections. I never bought the individual issues until the later series. So as you open this, did you feel like it was able to catch you up? What did no. what it take from the origin, though? <laughs> yeah.
2: I had no idea how the girlfriend relationship was established. I didn't understand the two scientists that he dealt with. I kind of got the vibe that like, you know, they brought him back to life somehow. Um, It felt like I was missing a piece. Like I felt a little disjointed from the story. That being said, it's interesting. It's super weird. There's aliens in it, I think, or space shuttle, or something like that. I read it a few weeks ago. Now I don't understand how he got his his uh, his gun. Like I wanted to know wh- where that came from. That shoots, you know, discs essentially. That you know, seem plastic, but yet seriously wound people
1: (laughs) it's very very interesting yeah and and madman like you say is is kind of this mix of there's like there's like existential concerns and thoughts what is my place in the universe what does it mean to be alive those types of things and then at the same time the totally like goofy almost like childlike attitudes sure Yeah. yeah that he it is daily life but then inside his head like there's so much going on that he's trying to figure out the universe and and whatever it might be so michael so you were a little bit lost obviously steve and i had a heads up here Mm -hmm. but yeah what i find so interesting is yeah for those who don't know bottom line Frank Einstein is a reanimated corpse. These two scientists, Dr. Fleb and Dr. Boyfard, uh, they got together and they wanted to figure out the secrets. Yes, much like Dr. Frankenstein, they were working together, Frank and Stein, get it guys? And, uh, <laughs> and they brought it back to life, but they had to teach him like a kid so like he didn't understand the world anymore they had to really educate him but the one thing he had kind of these flashes he's got these
2: glimmers of his previous life or something
1: almost like
0: the captain marvel movie you know that kind of amnesia trope
1: Mm -hmm. but what did you guys michael or steven from where he got his costume what did you guys think about that why does he wear the costume it's based on
0: his favorite comic book hero from his Mr. childhood. Excitement. Mr. Excitement. <laughs> That's right. That's right.
1: Exclamation yeah. bolt.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it looks like, you know, when a kid wears Superman pajamas. Right. That's kind of the the style of it
1: yeah so they said essentially when he put on that costume it gave him confidence and he was able to like access all these abilities that they didn't know he had like he he's super agile he just is a good fighter just naturally and it just comes out he doesn't want to use it that's not his his demeanor at all he's not a grim and gritty character and yet yeah he gets called into action and those things come out as the story is progressing here in the first issue what's really interesting is there's there's like underground caverns i mean there's all sorts the stuff like that dr Flem has this like compound that he builds and so they, they've gathered all these characters kind of this weird crew of people there's this gal named bonnie who is a woman that they rescued in the, in the early issues and so they they saved her and then now she is kind of involved with dr Flem romantically but she's also <laughs> like going to college she's going to be super smart you know she, <laughs> she's very interested in science but she just looks like a classic 50s blonde bombshell type of look but yeah, so what would you guys say, like, when you think about the, the the early issue here, Michael, you said it was tripping you out. What was tripping you out the most? What were these plot points or lack thereof that was crazy to you? I mean, it,
2: it jumps from them. Like him and his girlfriend, I, f- I forget her name off. Of it. Like they're in a park. They're having a nice little interaction. I'm trying to figure out in my head, like, what does she see in this guy? Like, wh- where, how is the chemistry there? What is the connection? Then they're like in this basement where they show that he's getting reanimated. Then we jump to outside again. And then there's an alien landing and you're like, okay, what is this alien space shuttle? And they, they like cut into it with that. Or they, I'm just like, there was a lot of information thrown at you in the first issue and you're just like, okay, I assume that this either fills in the gap as time goes on or it's just like like i said a fever dream that all this yeah. kind of stuff is just
1: well, it, it, it is something where yeah it's definitely showing you that snap city which is where they operate out of anything can happen there like there there, it's, it's just a world this nexus of crazy things that just again a lot of them are sci-fi tropes or comic book tropes that would just occur the craziest part of all this to me is mike allred has this fascination with beatniks and there are these street beatniks yes. that instead of like gang bangers of the nineties, they are street beatniks. They're like, giving you a hard time, man. What are you doing, Jack? You know, and they're just like <laughs> hassling Frank and Joe on their date and like eventually they start chasing them and Frank and Joe, Uh, gather up there's this alien yeah Mm -hmm. they get some sort of ooze
2: on them and they become like monsters after that right
1: so like frank throws this jar of ooze that he was collecting as a sample that sloughed off the alien it hits them and then they become all pink and all pustule and gross so now they're mutant street beatniks okay as
0: (laughs) happens yes
1: yeah interesting and so from there, basically, like, like I said, there's this alien. They're very concerned about it. And then, like, the last panel is they end up in a spaceship of an alien who's like, my name is Mott, you know? And so yeah i, Mop, I, yeah, I can't the but yeah for those who don't know that's an old like band from the 70s yes. the hoople. yeah for those who are not deep into old classic rock stuff i uh, can, can see why old
0: michael old. wouldn't have responded to this based on what i'm looking at here now this seems <laughs> like the antithesis of everything that michael likes in comics <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> but but that being said i loved i zombie when i read it and it's got a little bit of, you know, that kind of craziness, but it's a little bit more grounded than this in a way. It's nothing like the TV show at all. Like it's totally different from that. But this was whew, like, I was, I, I, I need to like read like a children's book. It's <laughs> was so, so confused. Was like, where am I going?
0: See, I, 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 like quite the opposite. I thought it, it really hit me. It kind of combined my love for comics and like weird indie cinema and uh weird horror movies so for me it, it struck a different chord i know yeah, michael's I, I not a horror like guy It is
1: very polarizing in that way right it's either like 100 percent this speaks to me i get it or it's like this is really weird like michael's reaction so like it, it's the perfect dichotomy between you two michael i will tell you this though with the mutant street beatniks mm-hmm. eventually they do mutate and become superheroes so that that's like like their pupil state is that look and then they transform and they become the atomics and madman teams up with them so like it does pay off that's what i love about this universe is mike allred like he he plants all these seeds and then yeah over time it eventually builds up now i um, I have
2: to admit though i do have to read the madman superman Hubble blue or whatever you sent me yeah i haven't read it yet I What I will oh, yeah, do it looks cool. as a follow up to this, I will give my feedback on that three issue story, which I'm hoping is a little bit more grounded than this because there's superman in it you got to be like well you can't go totally manic on this thing <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, you should read uh mike Allred's silver surfer run which i was reading recently okay i think, I think you'd like that
1: i do like silver surfer so it's really yeah, cool if, if you didn't like the original series i have to say don't pick up madman atomic comic it is very experimental Uh, it is something where he was just this was like everything Mike Allred ever wanted to explore in comics and like each issue is like a totally different style and Mm -hmm. weird panel layouts and whatever so that would not be a good entry point but the Atomics, the Atomics, any of those comics I promise you if you read them you will love them. Uh, This is another one just to mention in the uh, interview in this issue of Wizard uh, he mentions how uh, he wants to do a team up. The only team up he would consider is with The Jam which was by a, char- uh, a character created by a guy named bernie maralt never heard of the jam but this is this is the jam and his crossover with nexus oh by nexus parents, right Stevie. yeah so so this is a pretty fun little connection there that for those who like indie comics like that was like oh you know the, these big crossovers happening so but this is my question then so i, I assume you've read volume three then Stephen? yes I'm, I'm actually still reading it Okay, so, but is it speaking to you as much as volume one? Is it, do you notice the change?
0: It's speaking to me as much as volume one. It starts to look more polished as he goes on. It's almost shocking that it started as a black and white book because it uses color so vividly that, you know, it works so well. It works well as a black and white book, but it works really, really well as a color book. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of like the places it goes to and the weird sci-fi stuff that goes on. Yeah, I'm I'm really into it,
2: and I'll I will say like you know the coloring in this book is really really nice like it's it's not this dark gritty you know story it's really beautiful the art is really beautiful like
0: it's not Frank Miller it's not Frank Miller no it is not Frank Miller
2: uh it's it's unique I mean the style is cool I I've always liked this style it's really interesting uh it is just a little bit you know out there and it's not that I don't like horror comics because I've read uh one of my favorite books of the last couple years is a book called clean room by gail simone which is like whoa real horror <laughs> like it's horror i can see you know the elements of kind of being a frankenstein type of a character because you know frankenstein is frankenstein. you know the the monster himself is just sort of like trying to figure out who he is especially like if you've seen certain iterations of the movies and so on and so forth you know i'm 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 interested to see what the Superman story tie-in is and see if I'll like it better. And I didn't dislike it. This is not the worst piece of garbage I've read on this podcast, not by a long shot. But it's just was not what I was expecting, period.
1: Yeah, and I will say, you know, in your comparison there, Stephen so mentioning Frank Miller, mentioning Grim and Gritty, which was the era, ultra ultraviolence, all mm-hmm. those things. I think that's why Madman stood out and why it really was something that people latched onto. Cause they're like, Oh, finally kind of a semi wholesome fun, but a little bit edgy here and there, but just like a book that just gave you good vibes. And and it definitely is a throwback to, you know, Jack Kirby, as we mentioned in the tribute, Mike Allred, Big Kirby, Lee, Fantastic Four fan, all those things. So I think it a lot, a lot of comic book uh publishers in that era were saying, Oh, we're we're taking you back to classic storytelling, and they just didn't accomplish it. But Mike Allred did while being original. Mm-hmm. so I think that is why his legacy has only grown. Cause there's like it always feels good to yeah. open a madman comic. <laughs> you might be confused, but you like the art, you like the the character interactions, everybody gets along. Long, you know, and there's a little bit of drama, but just enough, you know, but not too too, you know, it's not it's not full-on soap opera every time, you know. So yeah, nobody
2: had any spikes on their shoulders for no apparent reason.
0: reason. (laughs) It feels very Generation X, and not not the Marvel Generation X, the actual Generation X, (laughs) kind of those people that grew up in the 70s and 60s and were watching all those 50 sci-fi B movies. And we're getting into philosophy and all that kind of stuff. And like it clearly captured that culture because I think, you know, some of the biggest cultural references for for Mike Allred were, you know, his appearances in Kevin Smith movies and his artwork for Kevin Smith movies. So he was part of that slacker generation.
1: Right. And speaking of which, so I rewatched Chasing Amy last night as I was getting ready for this episode. And I remembered that Mike Allred was in it, that there was Mike Allred art. I didn't remember how much Mm -hmm. Mike Allred and Madman is in this. I mean, obviously, at the comic book convention scenes, Mike Allred's in it. You know, he doesn't see Chow Young Fat playing (laughs) Madman, which is great. There's also a lot of stuff like we're just like, you know, Banky's like reading a Madman trade at their studio. You know, Man and Chronic is all Mike Allred. So like that is a lot of people's introduction, I have to believe, to Mike Allred's work and maybe didn't even know it. And Steven, it even inspired you back in the day to buy a piece of clothing, right? Yes.
0: Well, because Jason (laughs) Lee wears the black shirt with the yellow exclamation point. So I bought it at Midtown Comics because I wanted to look like, you know, Banky, I guess. And, you know, in my college dorm room, I had a poster from Chasing Amy and it was when they're playing video games on the couch and it was the three of them. And he's wearing the the Madman shirt. So,
2: see, growing up, I had seen that shirt all over the place, thought it was Black Adam. <laughs> didn't, <laughs> didn't know it mean. basically is. You know I, mean? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, people rocking a Black Adam here. That's kind of cool, not knowing that it was Madman. <laughs> you
0: know. And that shirt goes for a ton of money now because they stopped making it. And I, I i don't even know what I did with mine. It must have gotten yeah, no, a good mobile. Like,
1: I, I had the classic, the white and the red, and the black and the yellow. They have to be somewhere in a box and I just haven't found them because I didn't wear them out. I remember if they they had been destroyed, I would have been sad. So they're somewhere, but I just haven't (laughs) seen them for years.
0: You know what I've always wanted an action figure of? And this is the most random. No, (laughs) please. This is the most random Madman reference. I think in the next issue of Wizard or in two issues, there's a design your own Madman contest that Mike Allred judges. People send in their own submissions. And someone drew a Wonder Bread Madman with like the Wonder Bread circle dots all over it, and I thought that was the coolest thing. And he even liked it. So, if someone, if someone wants to make a Wonder Bread Madman figure, I'll pick it up.
1: That'd be awesome. That's and then you can sell it alongside the mythical Wonder Bread He Man. I know. I was just yeah. thinking
0: that. Wondar.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> One dar. All right. Well, guys, I mean, I, I'm so glad you finally dived into the world of Madman. Uh, there, like I said, there will be more to come when Michael follows up with the Madman, Superman, Hullabaloo. I guarantee you will love it. Much more cohesive a story, much more linear. You'll be able to follow it, I think. So, Okay.
0: <laughs> get, get on it, Kennedy. <laughs> all right all right i'll read it in the next
2: week or so and i'll i'll give my my full review <laughs>
1: that's the Kennedy promise look for it on a mini episode over promise under deliver. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's time to get into those headlines with wizard news <laughs>
2: So, okay, there's a bunch of wizard news things this month, but hot off the heels of the Batman-Spawn crossover, which we covered in Robin's Green and Rainbow, as well as with the YouTube series as well, in episode 32, DC is now teaming up with Batman and the Punisher for two different crossover books. And funny enough, I just found my copy of Batman and the Punisher, which I was like, oh, I didn't even know I had this. Okay, cool. <laughs> Interestingly, it's revealed that Marvel's book is written by Chuck Dixon with the art by John Romita Jr. and Klaus Janssen, while the DC book is written by Denny O'Neill with art by Barry Kitson. I have, at least I believe, the Marvel one because it's literally – Everything is, looks like John Romita stuff. I had to double check, but I pulled it out today, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I had this, and I didn't even know we were going to talk about it, but great, cool. And I have to point out, though, Stephen and I talked about probably back in episode 30 or 31, maybe, that there was rumblings about this, and DC vehemently denied yes. this being a thing. Mm-hmm. It's pretty oh. hilarious. <laughs> I just had to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of intercompany team-ups with Frank Castle... Archie Meets the Punisher is being published and will have an enhanced variant cover by Marvel and a new standard edition for the standard Archie look. That's kind of interesting. I, I can't picture Punisher in an Archie style drawing,
0: but okay, cool we 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 i had that i showed it in one of our videos oh,
1: yeah you forgot already and, I, and you
0: can't picture it i
1: forgot yeah, that was one of our patreon exclusive videos about the lamest comics in our collections most unimpressive comics and steven highlighted archie meets the punisher
2: i edit those videos and i forget <laughs> look at that so anyway If you want to see the video, we talked about it on our Patreon, so sign up for Patreon and check it out. Steven listed this book, as we said, and and it's kind of pretty funny that we're talking about it. Plus, on an upcoming episode of The Wizard Files, former Wizard staffer and current co-president of Archie Comics, Alex Segura, Adam pitches a sequel to this infamous crossover. So, be sure to
1: tune into that and see... How that idea is received, <laughs> if at all. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun. I I enjoy pitching it. <laughs> that was my chance. I'm sure <laughs> I could see you up up late at
2: night with like your quill pen like writing this <laughs> Oh, this will be fantastic. He's going to love it. It'll be great. Staying with Archie Comics news though, the publisher is launching a new imprint called Spectrum. Not to be related to the TV thing that we see all commercials for around New York State, Spectrum Television. But hey, whatever. Which will include a wider variety of stories. The first of which is a mini-series called 21st Century Mutant Ninja Turtles, focusing on the four turtles as adults in the year 2094.
1: Kind of sounds like The Last Ronin, right? It's like the later years of the turtles.
2: It sounds a lot like The Last Ronin. That's interesting. I could not find any evidence of this book ever coming out, but I did find info on the MightyCrusaders.net. Wow, it's 94, and they're, they're only using .net? They couldn't use a dot. No,
1: no, no, this is a in, a current the current website.
2: Oh, this is current? This is, I thought there was a 90s website. They were pulling up. So the Spectrum line was originally launched and then canceled, but it was launched in 1983 and then canceled in in 1989 due to excessive violence in the non-code comics they produced jim valentino was one of the creators who was involved so this was an attempt to revive that may never have happened or may not happen yeah, anyway. i mean we,
1: we put it so, out really? I, I i checked on my social media with the ninja turtles diehards and i know and nobody knew about this book coming out so i don't think it ever actually uh. happened unfortunately because it sounds kind of cool I
2: wonder if it's someone knew this idea though, and that's why they're doing the last Ronin. Yeah, I, I, th- I think what yeah, they
1: said was that eventually they did publish like you know a brief like mini series that did go as part of like the mainline Archie Ninja Turtles book. So I think they just repurposed it.
2: Okay, after only a few months on Ninjack, Joe Casada has quit Valiant because they quote. Made it impossible for me to continue drawing ninjack or any other Valiant project at this time in good conscience. That, that
1: dark, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> What's going on at Valiant that, that Joe Quesada can't have anything to do with them? I don't know. It's either they're not paying him enough money or there's some shady business going on behind the scenes. Interesting. So the next news thing we have, in a true sign of the times... Hamilton Comics, I've never heard of them before, but of course that doesn't surprise me very much, But hey, <laughs> uh, has announced that they will begin publishing Mighty Morphin Power Rangers comics, which will have a 16-page lead story and a 10-page backup story. Quick thoughts on Power Rangers, guys. What do you guys feel about the Power Rangers?
0: I was too old when they came out, so they were a little young for me. The toy line was super cool. I had at least a Green Ranger toy. But, yeah, it was a little too young for me. I would personally watch the episodes,
2: but it was kind of hard to even get through because they weren't really that fun because they felt juvenile. But it was just kind of like something that you could just leave on the TV and not really pay attention to. And, oh, cool, they're fighting. The Mega swords are coming out. Great. I that didn't care that
1: i was much. too old for it just like you guys but i was all in from day one from the <laughs> premiere episode on saturday morning where they're like this is coming it's gonna be a weekday series like i was so into it i have like a full set of like the taller uh action figures that i i have on my shelf here in front of me like i just i loved that show like the first three seasons i would say like maybe four when they did like the power rangers turbo like basically after the first movie and then they launched this turbo thing i was like oh that's that's not for me anymore. But I, I really did enjoy it, and I was—I like I, I bought you know trading cards. I—I I did as much as I could. But my neighbors next door—they were younger than me. They were like you know three or four years younger than me. They had all the toys. They had the Super Nintendo game, and I was super jealous. And that's when I realized so I was like, yeah, I, I should be playing with these kids. <laughs> I'm I'm 13 now. <laughs> I should be watching Power Rangers. <laughs> that's pretty funny. I
2: mean, they are producing Mighty One from Power Rangers comics right. now, but. But I don't know I don't know who the imprint is that's producing them. I'm not really sure. I'm kinda of curious. But they're definitely aimed like, more
1: a lot of them at like the adult readers who have aged or they're trying to make a oh, pick. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're,
2: they're really cool. Like I've picked up a few issues here and there. Oh, they're they're done by Boom Comic. Oh, okay. They did a really cool crossover with the Justice League for like a what? six issue run. Yeah. It's really cool. It's a really good book. And and each cover is like one ranger and one justice league member and like you know the red rangers paired with with superman and like the black rangers paired with batman and so on and so forth and it's very very cool like the covers are Yeah, really, I'll have to
1: look that up. That sounds fun. Thing.
2: Yeah, it's very fun. Speaking of companies that we've never heard of before, Big Entertainment announces that they have brought on Neil Gaiman to create new characters for their Techno Comics line. These comics will be produced in printed form, but also as a CD-ROM comic and animated videos. So they're like motion comics, essentially?
1: I think they were actually trying to do, like, animated, like, full animation to probably, you know, get picked up as a series.
2: Interesting. We'll keep watching the development of these books and see... If the plans really come to pass.
1: Yeah, and I, I will tell you guys real quick that I actually uh, have been picking up some techno comics because it's an imprint I remember, and they are quite plentiful in quarter bids.
2: Are you twirling around like glow sticks and like listening to like... <laughs> 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 you got like Daft Punk going and glow sticks.
1: Around the world, around the
2: world. And that's the Wizard News for May of 1994.
0: Now it's time for Heroes in Motion. All right, so the top story in the cut and print section isn't much of a story at all. Columnist Dave Galvin. Reports on a rumor that the X Men cartoon was pulled from TV in Canada because it was too violent. But according to the station rep, it was just bumped because another program had to be shown in the 11 a.m. time slot. Pretty anticlimactic. <laughs> what was being shown? Was it like today's special CTV uh, rerun? The more you know, it was the Alpha Flight episode over and over again. <laughs>
1: Well if if it was Canada it was Degrassi obviously it was the latest season of Degrassi High or whatever but i just think that's True. funny like it seems like he got his Source on this, or whoever like reported this, was like a fifth grader. I heard they pulled the X Men cartoons, it's too violent. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, if you play this record backwards, you'll hear, uh, you know, Hail Satan. <laughs> it's that kind of rumor. But anyway, in <laughs> much more interesting and true news, is the tip that the videotape for Roger Corman's Carnosaur features the full trailer for the unreleased Fantastic Four movie. So, as I've said a million times on this podcast before, a kid in school tricked me into renting silver (laughs) because he said the Fantastic Four trailer was on it. And finally, I got him to admit that it was on Carnosaur. And two days after I got him to admit that it was on Carnosaur, I picked up this issue of (laughs) Wizard and I saw the news that I'd been badgering this guy for, you know, for weeks. And there it was. And so since... This time, and since we recorded the Fantastic Four movie podcast, I've been searching to find this trailer on other VHS tapes. Two that I found so far are The Skateboard Kid, which was, which was another New Horizons movie, where Dom DeLuise is the voice of a talking skateboard. <laughs> and then a Christmas movie called Little Miss Millions, which has also been retitled, I think, Home for Christmas, which stars Jennifer Love Hewitt and Howard Hessman, uh, as well as James Avery from uh, Fresh Prince yeah. and the Voice of Shredder. And there's a trailer for Little Miss Millions on Carnosaur as well, which is why I was like, oh, maybe if I rent Little Miss Millions, there will be a Fantastic Four trailer. Or buy it. I bought a VHS <laughs> So, yeah, so I'm still on, this, on the hunt for more New Horizons of VHS that have the Fantastic Four trailer.
1: So if you know, reach out to us. Give Stephen a tip if you have found the Fantastic Four trailer on any other uh, videos from back in the day.
2: If you want Stephen to spend more money on VHS tapes... <laughs> That he may
0: not ever watch, other than for a minute and a half to watch a trailer. Let him know. Uh, you know what? I'll just say this. I have watched Carnosaur so many times, and I've watched Little Miss Millions now like three times. So I will watch the entire movie. <laughs> Speak for yourself, there, Kennedy. I, 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 that's very true. You're good. Good point. Moving on, though not confirmed, Lois and Clark: The New Adventures of Superman has a good chance of getting picked up for a second season. Based on viewer and critical acclaim. Yay! Galvin states that the episode titles have not been listed during episodes, but provide a full list for those who are curious. Sillier titles include Man of Steel Bars, Honeymoon in Metropolis, and The Green Green Glow of Home.
1: (laughs) Man of Steel Bars, though. I mean, that's pretty hilarious.
2: (laughs) I still remember, I think it was the pilot of that show where Lois is actually in his apartment. And she opens his refrigerator, and it's just filled with Twinkies. And yet he comes out of the bathroom, no shirt on, and he's just, like, jacked. And I'm like, you couldn't figure out this guy was Superman by that? Really? You couldn't figure it out. Come on.
1: Kryptonian (laughs) metabolism, man. That show is not good.
0: (laughs) And I feel like now people are willing to admit it's not good. There was, like, a brief bit of nostalgia for Lois and Clark. But it's just not. But a it good was a show, huge hit for
1: the time. Whatever it was doing at the time worked. So was it? I think it was just that Terry Hatcher was, <laughs> you
0: know, kind of the hot thing at that time. That's my take on Lois and Clark. You weren't a Desperate Housewives fan. I was not. <laughs> Ter- and Terry Hatcher was a great Lois Lane. Don't get me wrong; she, she was, was fantastic on the show. The guy that played Superman, you know, was a, about as appealing as a block of wood. But we'll move on.
2: Come on, D.K. E. is Kane, cool.
0: He's not. That guy's boring <laughs> as can be. There are so many better people at that point in history that could have played Superman. But we'll move on. Speaking of heroes on TV, Space Ghost the animated hero from Hanna-Barbera is announced as getting his own talk show on Friday night starting April 15th on the Cartoon Network. Promised guests include Susan Powder, who wow.
1: Stop the insanity. Susan Powder the, the fitness yes. guru? Yeah. Dennis Rodman's ex-wife. Wow. wow. Judy Tenuto? Who's she that? was a comedian that, that played an accordion. She was like the female Weird Al. Okay.
0: And the Bee Gees. Wow. So who was your favorite guest in the show over the years?
1: Do you guys remember some of the guests when you have tuned in? Two that come to mind for me
0: were Adam West, obviously. And there was, on the Mask VHS tape, there was a Space Ghost interview with Jim Carrey that was really funny. So that's what
1: I think of.
2: That's pretty cool. I don't re- I mean, I remember Adam West because I remember that was a big deal, but
1: I don't remember anybody else. I just remember the cartoon. Yeah. Like, well, it, you know, a know. lot of the people they brought on were in on the joke, but they still tried to make it awkward for them. But one of the people that was not in on the joke, which always cracked me up, was Russell Johnson. Do you guys know who Russell Johnson played?
0: Yes the professor professor roy hinckley from gilligan's correct. island correct
1: and so he was on it and they were interviewing him and of course he's just making all these gilligan's island jokes and jabbing at him and russell johnson's just like whatever space cadet what, what is your name like <laughs> it was so funny he was just had so much contempt that this was his lot in life after this long career you know but the space cadet like it just cracked me up <laughs> oh
0: man i loved it <laughs> that's awesome I'll have to find that one. And so finally, Galvin has read the script for the upcoming Alec Baldwin film, The Shadow. And as a fan of the character provides his review, biting critiques include the movie is very much a cross between Batman and Big Trouble in Little China. The climax is about as exciting as watching a turtle walk up a long hill. And it's quite possibly one of the worst interpretations of a character since Howard the Duck. So here you wrote, Stephen agrees, Adam gives Galvin the finger. Michael is somewhere in between. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know.
2: I have to rewatch The Shadow to have a, a more succinct opinion. I do remember it being okay at the time, but I don't, I've don't. i only watched it maybe two times in my entire life,
0: so I really can't pass judgment yet. <sighs> nice. I'll pass judgment. I saw this in theaters the same week that I saw a terrible movie called I Love Trouble, Starring Julia Roberts and Nick Nolte. Oh, there's a whole documentary about
2: that movie and how much they hated each other on set. I
1: want to find that. to me
0: i love trouble was the better of the two uh, movies i remember seeing the shadow and being like wow it, it just was not as good as i love trouble i'll say that about it <laughs> oh man wow rough. i'm sorry i was excited
1: alec baldwin is so cheesy in that character that's the charm of that movie to me is that it is a mix of action and comedy intentional comedy it is a quirky script by the guy who wrote jurassic park you know like somebody asked me because i i have been setting up my new office and I set up you know my shadow wall and I had all my goodies from the movie and the action figures and everything else and this guy he like reached out to me he's like wait so why do you love the shadow so much it's like he's like I love Batman returns I don't love the shadow and I was like as I explained I just said look like the reason I generally like don't get into like the self-serious superhero movies as much you know it's just like they just didn't work for me but this one was so like goofy but again it was it kind of mixed the screwball humor of the 30s you know that style of movie with you know the the more direct kind of mysterious adventure film and so yeah like it is uneven it is not a hundred percent (sighs) an accomplishment but it is entertaining like there's just great chemistry between the actors I think there's just some fantastic scenes and back and forth dialogue so yeah I just I can't get enough
2: Uh, uneven is a way is an interesting way to describe that movie it's very (laughs) uneven
1: (laughs) I don't think Russell Mulcahy is a great director let me just put it that way I can't point to a movie even a Highlander that he has you know that he has made that is good but he always has cool stuff you know (laughs)
0: And you know what? What's funny about this review is I remember reading this script review and going into the movie theater expecting the villain to fall off of a building. Yes. Because that's what they said happened in the script. And they were saying how unoriginal that was, and how in Batman and Dick Tracy the villain fell off the building, and they even say in Fantastic Four the villain fell off a building, which they had never reviewed the Fantastic Four movie, so they just like well, let it Well But remember, look so they'd he read the it.
1: script and he said it was a perfect script when he talked about the Fantastic Four being right. over. So yeah, but yeah, you're right. So there, he was obviously reading an earlier version of the script because I've read the script online, and yeah, there are some differences. But yeah, so we'll get into all of this on ninety 90- six. Super Cinema, when you all vote for 1994 for us to cover The Shadow.
0: Please don't. Please, <laughs> Please don't. don't. What else came out that month? The, in that year, it was... 94 is a big one. We've got oh. The Mask. The, got mask got the, pilot, the Mask. The Mantis Pilot. The Crow. Ooh, The Crow. That's
1: another good one.
0: <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot. So hopefully people don't torture us.
1: <laughs> Speaking of torture for some, it's time we get into Jim and Todd's Hype Machine. So Todd McFarlane is announcing he's releasing a six-issue miniseries titled Boof. No, it's not a Teen Wolf spinoff for all you Teen Wolf fans out there. (laughs) I got it, Yeah, you got it. It's about a big alien dog-looking creature, you know, who befriends a small boy who also has a pet dog. And there is going to be also a sister comic, he says, called Boof and the Bruise Crew. But if you look at this character, I sent you guys some covers of this comic the other day. I don't know if you looked at it, but basically Todd McFarlane is ripping off Pit, with this like it, it's very much like just a big brutish alien character and now he has like a little boy who's a friend like that is that is what pit was and uh, it's not even drawn by todd they actually say it's drawn by a todd McFarlane clone so like he just had so many draws like him in the south he had an idea but also it seems to me with this boof and the bruise crew he has just tried to appeal and create a kid's property to get a potential cartoon series that has to be what this was like I can't see any other reason why he would produce this comic unless he was saying it's for my daughter someday. She was very young at this time. Now Jim Lee has reteamed with Chris Claremont after the debacle with X Men and like the second issue of Wizard for three issues of Wildcats, where Claremont is introducing the character of the Huntsman. And I read it. And guess what? It's not great. It's not a great comic. Uh, this character he is totally generic. He's just this dark-looking adventure hero in a leather jacket. He has some type of accent, like Chris Claremont loves to do, that uses a lot of apostrophes to clip off the end of words. But I don't know, is he Irish? Is he from New York? I don't know what he does, okay? And then the only power that he calls out, the Huntsman says, I have the ability to instantly adapt to any other person's fighting move once I see it. So he's just the Taskmaster. He's Deathstroke the Terminator with a pretty face. Like, I don't understand so yeah i don't know what, why chris claremont thought this was going to be his big new character but it's it's a dud unfortunately so uh but the, this issue as we get to the tally jim lee mentioned five times todd oh boy ten times double it up on jim whoa, there whoa. he's catching wow. up that brings jim's total to 204 mentions todd 196 could be any day now that Todd takes the lead but speaking of hype let's see what comics wizard is assigning maximum value to in Punisher's
2: price guide Wizard provides another comic book price guide tip sheet insert in this issue, and some interesting comics are getting the spotlight, if you will. Sandman number 8 is supposedly going for $43, while Ultraverse 0, which was only available through a special mail-away offer, is valued at $26. So actually,
1: let me ask you guys, do you know why Sandman 8 would be significant at this time? Why it would be different than any other issue of Sandman? Sandman 8... Was it the first appearance of death? There you go. That's it. She was like the hot new character at the time. Yep. And the Ultraverse, no one
2: cares
0: about because it stinks. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why. It's much Not longer. at this
1: time. I feel oh. like,
0: I feel like Sandman was one of those comics that every guy that worked in the video store was reading behind the counter. <laughs> Did you guys find that in your towns? Yes, I do know. The stationery store too might've been, you know,
2: reading it with like the nerd that worked there.
1: Wherever college kids could get jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
2: exactly. So, but the big money book this month is the first printing of bone number 1 from Jeff Smith's own cartoon books imprint going for a whopping 126 dollars see i've heard a lot about bone i've never read it i am intrigued by it because i just don't understand what's so significant about it
1: but it doesn't turn you off like ElfQuest. you'd give bone a chance but ElfQuest is no go
2: i'd give bone a go just because i'm curious why it's so revered and so like respected for essentially a goofy-looking Casper the Ghost kind of character on the cover of is every <laughs> issue, right? I don't know what Bone is other, other than that. Obviously, Bone has continued to be revered, so we wanted to find out if it held its value all these years later. So, on eBay, in April of 2021, a graded copy of Bone number 1 sold for $6,000. Wow. And an ungraded set of the first three issues signed by Jeff Smith are going for $750. So yeah, Wizard was pretty on the money with this one. I'll
0: give him that. It was pretty good. Have you guys read Bone? No, but I, but you know, in talking about this, I have been thinking about picking it up. Well, maybe we'll read Bone number one for a Robin's Reading Rainbow.
1: Well, yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, eventually it gets republished. You know, Image starts putting it out and they start at number one. So yeah, we could probably find it at that point. I, I mentioned in the past i have read it i've checked it out from the library not my cup of tea i can understand why people would be into it if you like fantasy stories i just don't oh it's fantasy yeah. it's, it's a fa- oh. it's like lord of the rings with a what with three cartoon characters but everybody else are you know actual people living oh. in a fantasy world yeah
2: oh come on oh man boom all right well i've made the offer i'll read issue one and i'll never read another issue after that
1: period there we
2: go fantastic on a special note for steven Mm. one of his favorite comics ever secret origin special number one from 1989 featuring origin stories for the penguin two-face and the riddler is highlighted in the comic watch section as a possible hot book on the rise so do we know if this
0: book is still on the rise is it valuable have we looked steven how about it's your people offered
1: you on the street when you uh when you pull that baby <laughs> out
0: That copy was in the backseat of my parents' Monte Carlo, like 1987 Monte Carlo, for a couple years, and I think my brother and I would just read it on long car rides, and it would just get passed around and (laughs) wrinkled up, and so our copy is not was not in pristine condition. But I've since searched for it because I no longer have it, and it's like five bucks on eBay. That's not bad. Yeah, it did not catch fire. <laughs> but speaking of fire! Steven, I think it's time for. Azriel's Action Figure Fury. So last issue, Jim McLaughlin took over Magic Words, and this issue, Brian Cunningham announces that he is stepping down from the toying around column, which he has been heading up since issue number two of Wizard in order to focus on his editorial responsibilities. Sean Ahn, who who runs Splash Page Comics in Kirkville, Missouri, will be handling the feature going forward. But Brian ends his tenure with some big announcements from Toy Fair 1994. Man, did I love these Toy Fair issues as a kid. So first up, we have a full two-page spread of all the X-Men figures from Toy Biz set to hit shelves. 42 different figures are featured, including Wolverine in street clothes, two new cable figures, Mojo, a 14-inch Sentinel figure, and a Blackbird jet, which Brian captions with, Speaking of Disappointing, without clarifying about what he doesn't like about it. Uh, I I remember the Blackbird jet, but what was weird about it? Like, it
2: could only fit one person? Yeah, it came apart in pieces,
1: and it had, like, a little cockpit piece, and then the rest of it was, like, computer stuff, but it was tiny. Like, there there was a G.I. Joe plane that looked more like the Blackbird, and it was huge. I mean... Yes, the G.I. Joe
2: plane. I had the G.I. Joe plane. That thing was so cool. Okay.
0: Totally totally random toy talk. Well, there you go. Speaking of X-Men figures, the cover features the promise of an X-Men Toy Biz giveaway, where a single grand prize winner will win every X-Men figure ever produced up to this point, which was 72 figures, plus the Sentinel and Blackbird. All you have to do is identify what X-Men issues the three panels featured in the contest page are from. Can you guys imagine winning this? as a kid at this point in your life dude oh man could you imagine that would be fantastic these toys were amazing and the funniest thing about them was by the end of the 90s three of my friends uh, my best friends from high school worked at kb toys and they were just lining shelves of kb toys with these toy based figures in like three for ten
1: deals Well they just overdid it. Toy Bears just put out way too they did the Masters of the Universe thing where they just over saturated the market. They just got greedy and they just repainted figures and like here's the figure again, but now it's gold and ten inches tall. Like it was just like so (laughs) obvious what they were doing over and over again.
0: Yeah, and my friends bought those ten inch tall figures. And I always considered buying one and I just never pulled the trigger on those. They're everywhere. So they're pretty easy to find now.
2: Gee, McFarlane's kind of doing that with some of their DC stuff now. They've released, like, four different versions of the Arkham Knight Batman, a gold version, the regular version, like, another, and then, like, they did another one for another Batman. It's got a red version and a black and white. I'm like, okay, it's the same figure, just not painted. Thanks. Great.
0: <laughs> so uh, next we see the additions to the Spider-Man the Animated Series toy line featuring Kingpin carnage and craven the hunter as well as the peter parker figure that is definitely a prototype for photo only because it looks nothing like the finished figure also in the mix are the new figures from the marvel superheroes line we mentioned in a recent episode including punisher with plastic trench coat that was obviously stolen from the gambit figure (laughs) again i love this spider man toy line i had a bunch of these and i had every single one of these toy biz figures including the Punisher with that dumb jacket. <laughs> and I had the U.S. agent repaint. I had the Invisible Woman. I had the Daredevil repaint. So, man, I was just all in on these, I guess. And speaking of things I was all in on, Kenner shows off their Legends of the Batman, featuring a cool-looking Nightwing, neon-colored Ezreal oh, Batman, The Legends Catwoman, of
2: Batman. I love those figures. And oh, a demented
0: looking Joker. Uh, yeah, I had, I had most of these. This was the first Nightwing figure I can remember, and I remember going to Toys R Us, like badgering the employees, being like, "Is there a Nightwing? Have you found the Nightwing?" Remember when the Batmobile for
2: this one? Remember the? Yes, I Bat- do.
0: It was like this, like
2: metallic gray looking one that had it. Kind of looked like the Batman and Robin Batmobile, but metallic gray.
0: I love that car; it just looks cool. <laughs> it just looks so cool. There's also a Batman on a on a horse figure. Yes, there the was. Picture. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and also the Predator vs. Aliens line inspired by the Dark Horse comic books, including a glow in the dark Predator and Alien Queen Hive playset with Alien Ooze. Finally, the biggest news of, of all is the concept sketches for Todd McFarland's new line of Spawn action figures to be released in October of 1994. On the roster are Spawn, Medieval Spawn, The Violator, The Clown, Overkill, and some bullheaded baddie named Tremor. Uh also promised her a spawn mobile, a violator monster rig semi truck, and a spawn alley playset. Of course this would be the start of a hugely successful company that continues to anger and impress collectors to this day. Uh yeah. I I you know, I was on a spawn reader, but I definitely bought a spawn toy 'cause like they look so cool.
2: Yeah, I I never bought a spawn figure, I never read spawn, but the figures they used to scare me as a kid. I'm
1: actually <laughs> afraid
2: of them. They were terrifying, I'll be honest with you. Gotta go past them quick, 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 quick. Where's Batman? Where's Batman?
1: Like, I always <laughs> admired the McFarlane figures, but I never bought them until they made the Kiss action figures. But before that, I never bought any other action figure by McFarlane.
0: Yeah, well, speaking of collectibles that create mis- mixed reactions from comics fans, it's time for Guy Gardner's
1: Gimmicks a Go Go.
2: How bizarre! Top, top up, up,
1: Alright, well, Incredible Hulk number 418 features a die-cut, gatefold, wedding invitation-style cover to celebrate the marriage of Rick Jones and his girlfriend, Marlowe. So if you're into that sort of thing, you want a wedding invitation cover, well, there it is. Detective Comics number 675, where Azrael upgrading his bat armor further, apparently, it features a, quote, nifty embossed blue and gold foil cover. I don't know if you guys have these in your boxes anywhere, but... I don't remember. I, mm. I
2: think not long into the Azrael run, I bailed out on Batman because I was so disheartened by the way it went until he eventually came back. And I do remember there's an issue of wizard where they have an article teasing Bruce Wayne's return. And it was like, Oh, I, I when I, when we get to it, I'm like, Oh my God, that was the one <laughs> It was like, the, and it was one of the few that like really got me as a wizard fan. I'm like, Oh my God, that particular, and I looked at that picture a gazillion times when it comes, up, you'll see me scream.
1: So we're excited. Those are kind of few and far between, so that'll be a big one. Now, Avengers number 375 is reported to have a quote collector's edition cover, but Wizard doesn't spill the beans on the gimmick, so I looked it up, and research reveals a wraparound cover and then a shiny silver logo and the promise of a quote pullout poster inside. Will it be as exciting as the ultraverse poster in this issue of Wizard? Who's to say? What could what could be more exciting? (laughs) finally all the milestone books in may will include covers drawn by john byrne so there's a gimmick for you right there good art well, subjective. Art. <laughs> and uh, finally, Wizard itself. I don't know if you guys have noticed this as you've been listening, as you're tracking, but they seem to be trying to compete with Hero Illustrated in the number of giveaways that they have added to the magazine. In addition to the ones we've already mentioned, there are even more, okay? So there is a Judge Dread pinball machine giveaway, which requires the reader to find three Judge Dread badge logos hidden in the magazine. So I was able to find two. I can give you a head start, everybody. One is the table of contents next to a picture of Madman. Also, we talked about earlier, War Strike. In the Ultraverse article, they put it on one of his giant cable-like shoulder pads. <laughs> so it's kind of hidden in there. But I could not find the third one. I have no idea where it is. So if somebody else knows, I I want the answers here. Then the other uh, contest they had here was a Sega Game Gear giveaway. So Michael on the video. Mini- episode, he read about a a Sega Genesis giveaway that they had I think it was Sega CD. It was was Sega CD. Ooh, even cooler. Oh, nice. They say here that you'll get the X-Men and the Batman Returns game cartridges, and the batteries are included. And from what I understand, you'll need them, because that thing was a battery eater. But to enter, you have to unscramble the tiles to assemble a picture of a famous comic book legend. You know, the one that everyone associates with video games neil adams it is so (laughs) random that they mixed up a picture of neil adams they said assemble it and then you win a game gear what kid that wanted a game gear back then knew who neil adams was
2: probably not many
1: the only reason i knew is that i you know when we did like our a couple of our uh, comic convention focused episodes there were pictures in the programs of neil adams and he has a very distinct mouth so there's one tile that's just his mouth and i was like it's neil adams Like, I would have won this back in the day. I could have had my hands on a Game Gear. (laughs) Well, one of the things that Wizard likes to leave you with is a laugh, and so, as a result, do we. So, Michael, it's time for...
2: Turok's Top Ten List. In tonight's top ten list is top ten DC character revamps after Green Lantern goes nuts storyline. Oh boy! One okay. of the best storylines, by the way. Yes, I have to. I have it. I have to reread it because I want to reread it, remember it. Number ten: Wonder Woman dies, but it turns out she is really Jean Grey and was never really Wonder Woman. Blowing your mind. What?
1: <laughs> Number nine. Robin reveals he's really Katie Lang. Ooh, there's a 90s reference. That's a bad joke.
0: <laughs> Number eight. Sandman loses his adamantium
1: skeleton. Wow. This this, this is hero-level humor right here. This is is kind of scatterbrained. Hey! (laughs) Don't insult hero. This is
2: dad joke humor is what it is. We need a car crash sound effect for some of these bad puns that they do here. Number seven, Mr. Freeze... Beats the crap out of Tanya
1: Harding. Come on, it's topical. Gotta love it. It is, it's all yeah. awesome. Ice skating, Mr. Freeze. Hey, it's perfect. Number six, the Adam quits the superhero biz and becomes the world's leading proctologist. <coughs> another proctology joke <laughs> they love the
2: proctology jokes you know it was probably a lot of the older guys at wizard were probably getting like uh you know oh it's time to get your, you know what's that thing called colonoscopy <laughs> colonoscopy that's what i was looking for
1: Damn. to be fair not many of the guys there were very old but i think steven is just extra sensitive given that time he was embarrassed by a group called the proctologists
0: <laughs> we beat the proctologists Oh, there you go! It got down to a tiebreaker with the proctologist at a trivia game in Montana, and we we won. So anyway, <laughs> number five, Swamp Thing dies, but instead of coming back as four different guys like Superman, he comes back as four different food groups. Come on, that's great! I love it! I love it! <laughs> <laughs> There's so much shoe leather to get to the to the you know point of the joke. There, my God. Why do I always
2: get every time I get the offensive?
0: (laughs) I warned you on the Facebook group chat that there were a lot of offensive jokes in this one. Oh
2: God! Number four, Oliver Queen lives up to his name.
1: Damage control, damage control, damage control. Number three, something happens in Doom Patrol. Ooh, there's a wow. They're really sticking it to Doom Patrol. That's like the Alpha Flight of DC over there.
0: Uh, Number two, Azriel attends a Leo
1: Biscagl- Biscaglia.
0: I'm okay, you're
1: okay. Seminar. Was he a Tony Robbins competitor? Who is this Leo Biscaglia? I, I
0: I'm gonna look him up.
1: <laughs> I, I vaguely he's gotta remember be this. from Long I'm Island. Okay. You got when well, you look him up and it says he's from Long Island. It's gonna be a big I told you so. <laughs>
0: Nope, he's from Los Angeles, California. Okay, smart guy? (laughs) He's one of your people. Yeah, he's one of your people. We're not Um, claiming him in Los Angeles.
2: Why, again, again, (laughs) I get the offensive one. Two in a row I get the offensive one. And the number one top ten DC character revamps after the Green Lantern Goes Nuts storyline. Elongated Man becomes pretty darn popular as a male prostitute.
1: Why, though? Ralph Dibney, male prostitute.
0: <laughs> what would make him pro- popular as a male prostitute? I don't get the joke.
1: He's sensitive. They, they, they just want people to uh, talk okay. to. People, now the Johns are all lonely. <laughs> he, he's good at spooning. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. So it has nothing to do with the fact that his penis can stretch.
1: Damn hey, it! Good, good, good. Well, that about does it. That may be the end of Wizards Podcast. No, <laughs> this has been a fun discussion, gentlemen, a whole lot to get into here, and I'm man. The next one is even more exciting, another iconic cover, another iconic issue, and you guys are going to get the details on Bone. Jeff Smith is involved in this issue, so you've been wanting to know more? Well, I think it's time to dive in. But thank you so much, everybody, for listening, for sticking with us here on the podcast. If you're new, if you've just found us thank you for taking the chance and hey either way why don't you leave us a, a review give us as many stars as you can we're doing our best here for you we want to keep you entertained episode after episode and so much more to come of course don't forget to reach out to us on social media at wizards comics on twitter at wizards underscore comics on instagram why don't you hop on over to our patreon page patreon.com forward slash wizards comics we continue to see the community grow over there a shout out to Danny our buddy who just joined and he has been a a great uh, compatriot to one of our other patrons nerd jam turns out they may have been separated at birth their words not mine very cool we're connecting people over there you might find your soulmate yes wizards patreon we're working miracles and of course make sure you tune in for the mini episode coming up here Michael, you're going to be adding back a familiar old segment that we abandoned a while ago. Uh, What can you tell us about that, what it has to do with Patreon? So,
2: I am going to be bringing back wave riders way back machine because it was told to us that it's a very popular segment that the people are disappointed that it's left so i said you know what i'll bring it back i'll put it in the mini episodes and i'm going to kind of make this Kennedy's corner where i'm just going to talk about a bunch of random stuff in conjunction with the wave riders Wayback machine so we'll have a little fun with it and see how it goes and see what you people think <laughs>
1: but until next time keep your books bagged and boarded